0: Welcome back. Did you just keep going? Are we in the same day with you? If you are, congratulations. If you took the day off, congratulations to you. Whatever's right for you is what I want you to do. Set yourself up for success. Now, let's go on to step four. But first, a quick reminder in case you did take the day off. Here's what you've learned so far. Seven steps to creating conscious change. Step one, get disturbed. Get upset. Get angry. Get to the point where you won't stand for the way things have been and decide what you're not going to stand for anymore. There is power in that. You know, the Jewish people, after experiencing the horror of the Holocaust, finally came up with a phrase that every person within that culture is well aware of. And that is never again, never again will we let our sons, our daughters, our husbands, our fathers, our wives, our mothers be taken in the way they were. Never again will this horror happen. And it hasn't for the Jewish people, and it won't. No one who has a memory or has shared a memory would ever let that occur. Human beings have an amazing power to change anything in their life when they get disturbed enough, when they hit their threshold. Getting into that power is really important. But equally important is that step two. got to know what you're going to do instead. You can't just be moving away from a problem. you got to move towards something you want. See, being disturbed is like having an explosive fuel. It's like fire. You get enough fuel in there, and it's got enough combustion to it, enough energy to it. It can blow everything up. Or if it's channeled, it can be used to drive a rocket into space, into the stars, into your dreams. And that's what this is really about. So you've got to know precisely what you're after. And then finally, number three, you came up with a massive action plan. So let's go on to step number four, which I kind of shared with you a little bit about. And that is you've got to change your limiting beliefs. First of all, what is a belief? You know, we think of a belief as a thing when a belief is really a feeling. What a belief is, is a feeling of absolute certainty about what something means. If you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I invite you to walk across fire, you're gonna burn, then there's no way you're gonna get yourself to do it. But if you're familiar with my Unleash the Power Within weekends or the revolution seminars as they're known now, then you know for a fact that we've had literally three quarters of a million people from every age, from seven years old to 87 year olds that have crossed this fire. If the only thing stopping us is a belief, See, if you don't believe you can ever get yourself at 6 a.m., you're never going to. If you believe you have to have eight or nine hours sleep, you're going to make sure you get it because you don't believe you'll function without it. As you believe, so is it done unto you. Sound familiar? Whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. Because when you feel certain about something, you're going to find it. You're going to make it happen. If you're certain that you can't succeed, you're going to look for all the reasons why you shouldn't even start because who wants to fail? Beliefs control our behavior. Now, sometimes the belief is unconscious, like, you know, you've been taught your whole life, look before you leap, but you're also taught he who hesitates is lost. Figure that one out. Very often we have conflicting beliefs, but I can tell you this, whatever you're feeling and whatever you're doing is usually based on a belief and you may not be conscious of it. If you're starting to feel really angry or really frustrated or really sad, I'll give you a little question to ask yourself, and I'll probably talk about this a couple of times, and that question's simply this. What would I have to believe to feel this way? What would I have to believe in order to feel this way? See, for me to be angry about this, I have to believe that this person has control of me and I can do nothing about it. Well, when you start to realize what you'd have to believe to feel a certain way, you start to say, wait a second, I can do something about it. That isn't true. And it breaks the hypnosis that the belief has. It takes away the certainty that you're at the effect of things and gives you the opportunity to take control. Does that make sense? The same thing can happen if you're feeling really sad. Why am I feeling sad? Well, in order to feel sad right now, what would I have to believe? I'd have to believe that nothing can ever get better, that I'm overwhelmed and I can't change anything, that you know, I'm at the effect of it all. But you know what? We all know that's BS belief systems, right? But see, when we tell ourselves something over and over and over again with enough emotional intensity, we start believing it. It becomes an incantation. Most of our beliefs are things that we heard or saw, we felt a lot of emotion about, and then we repeated it to ourselves again and again unconsciously or consciously until we felt certain. And certainty is such a great asset. When you get yourself certain about what you can achieve, what you can do, what you can change, what you can make happen, who you can love, what you can connect with, what you can create. But when you're certain about your limitations, you got a real challenge. And you know what? Most people know more about their limitations than their assets. I have a great friend. His name is John McCormick. He was Inc. Magazine's Entrepreneur of the Year many years ago. And one of the things that happened to him is early in his career, he was very, very successful. But he developed some beliefs that almost destroyed it. And what happened for him was he was a police officer in the early 60s, and he was assigned to a pretty tough area, the Bronx and Harlem. And he found himself one day in a position where he got a call about a burglary, and he raced to that call. On the way, he passed two other officers in a car who were just moseying on over. So he found himself alone with one gun and surrounded by four men with shotguns. Now, he was fairly freaked out, but he took control. He acted totally certain, which is a good thing to do when someone's got a gun on you. He said, listen, you're totally surrounded. Drop the guns. If you shoot me, you're going to fry forever. Besides that, how much money did you get anyway? And he asked it with such certainty. One guy said $27. He said, you want to die for $27? Drop your gun. And sure enough, they all dropped it. Certainty can be a pretty great asset. Sometimes you've got to believe and there's no reason to believe. That, by the way, is called faith. And we all have faith. Belief is something you learn to have. Faith is something you're born with. See, you can't drive down the street with a little yellow line separating you from all those crazies unless you have faith. Otherwise, you have to stay home because what's going to prevent them from driving over to your side of the lane and killing you? Nothing. It happens every day. So how could you possibly drive with such uncertainty? You just have faith that it's going to work out. You don't focus on, oh, my God, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if it doesn't work out or you couldn't drive? Well, the same thing is true with making a change or making a goal happen, making it real. Let me tell you the rest of the story with John, though. So John took a look at his life after that and said, you know, do I really want to risk my life to save somebody else's $27? And it was near Christmas time, and he was a bit frustrated, so he decided to make a change. Why? He got disturbed. Remember that? He said, this is disturbing. I'm risking my life for 27 bucks. I don't think so. And none of the other officers cared enough to even speed up and help me. Second, he decided he wanted something else in his life. And so it was Christmas time, and he said, you know what? I'm going to get together with my brother and let's sell some Christmas trees and see if I got another option for making some money in my life because this is not fulfilling me. He got clear he was unfulfilled. For years, he kidded himself and said, yeah, it's not that bad a job. Now he realized no more. So what does he want? He wants a new job, a new opportunity. He doesn't know what to do, so he came up with a massive action plan. He got together with his brother and he poured together the money. He was making about $80 a week at the time. They put together between them $300, which is all the money they had, and it was one truckload of trees to get themselves started. They rented this little lot, and then they ran into the next problem. They found out nobody really in New York buys trees during the day. They usually come out at night to shop for that, and they had no electricity and no lights. His brother said, forget it. We're in this lot. There's no electricity. They're not going to buy here at night with no electricity. There's no lights. They can't see the trees. We've got to go home. What's that called? A belief. Fortunately... John was disturbed enough, and he had a strong enough desire that he came up with another plan. He said, I believe there's another way to do this. Look, all we need is a long enough extension cord. And his brother said, what? He said, look, there's lots of houses around here. Somebody's got to help us. I believe somebody will help us. You know what? John was certain. He knocked on doors of certainty and no, no, no in the New York environment. And finally, one lady turned out that she had a son that worked for the police department. And she said, sure, I'll let you do it. So they got enough extension cords together, and they put together a little Christmas tree lot. Well, once they had lights, they were in business. And during that season, John's half of the profits equaled $3,000 over a a three-and-a-half-week period of time. Think about that compared to $80 a week. He was a pretty happy camper, but he didn't stop there. He started to believe, you know what, there's a way for me to make more money while I sleep than I did while I was working. Which, by the way, is one of the principles you'll learn about on the financial session. But anyway, here's what he did. He took his $3,000 and he invested in stocks during the 1960s, another bull market if you recall, and he made $100,000 in less than a year on his investments. He was doing so well that a couple of people in the brokerage house asked to meet him and they offered him a job. He went to work within the brokerage and in less than a year he turned his $100,000 into a million and a half. He was riding high. He got himself several limousines, one for himself and one for his extra friends. It's amazing when you get that much money, how many extra friends you suddenly have in your life. And even his lady, who later became his wife, dropped him and said, you know what, when you get real, give me a call. Sometimes people's beliefs change. They start to think with certainty that they can't make a mistake. And boy, that's a problem, isn't it? The bottom line is it only took him three more months to lose it all not only lose it all, but he thought for sure he could do well, so he borrowed another $250,000 and lost it too. He literally got to the point in his life where he was considering killing himself because he just felt like he had nothing to live for. He'd lost everything. He felt like he was stripped of his dignity. And he went to the beach. and He was looking out the water, thinking about how he might end his life. He figured his insurance money might help out his family. And then a man walked by. He was ready to alter his beliefs again. A man named Abe an older guy, probably 75 years old. And he walked by and said, Sonny, Sonny, the ship ain't coming in here. You got to go out and make the ship happen. He said, what are you talking about? And he met a mentor, a man who would become his hour of power each morning on the beach. Without telling you his whole story, I'll just tell you this. Abe got him from stop thinking about what he didn't have in his life and start believing what he did. One of the first things he asked him was, tell me, let's make a balance sheet of your life. You know what a balance sheet is? And John said, well, yeah, sure. He said, but, you know, here's what I got. You know, I've got no real job opportunities. I've got police officers' education, and i got no money, and I owe $250,000. And Abe said to him, you know, any man who knows more about his liabilities than his assets is really in trouble. He said, well, I don't really have any assets. He said, young man, if you got someone to loan you $250,000, you have some assets. Because anybody can convince people to do that has got persuasive power. He said, do you know the English language? He said, well, yeah. He said, write it down. That's an enormous asset. He said, do you know currency? He said, well, you mean like dollars to yen? He goes, no, no, no. Do you know how to make change? Dollars, quarters. Do you how to make change? He goes, well, yeah. He goes, write that down. Knows currency. He went through this whole list. He said, do you know how many people came to this country who didn't speak English, that didn't understand the currency, that didn't know anybody, didn't have any friends, that didn't have anything, became multimillionaires? He said, you have any so many assets, it's a joke, but you know more about your limitations. When you have limiting beliefs, you have limitations, and it's time to get rid of them. The end of John's story is Abe became his mentor and helped him to change his beliefs by just challenging him. And that's what you got to do for yourself. Challenge the old things that are in your head. Don't let him sit around like old records that play again and again. You wouldn't listen to music you were bored with. You wouldn't go to a movie over and over again that you knew was insane and boring and stupid. Why would you go to that in your head by listening to a belief that doesn't make sense? Only because you're not aware of it. So let's handle it. And by the way, my good friend John got many other mentors in his life and, as I told you, became Entrepreneur of the Year. This is an amazing turnaround. All turnarounds are a turnaround in beliefs. So you might say, but Tony, I don't want to make a million dollars. I just want to lose some weight. I want to get myself to work out. Well, let me give some examples of friends of mine and family members because these are people I not only know what the result was initially, but I know what they've had a lasting change because that's what you want, right? You don't want to just change for a moment. The way to get lasting changes is not only get a plan, but develop a sense of absolute certainty that working out or whatever it is you want to change is what you're about as a person. Let me give you this example. This young lady, for years, she wanted to work out. She talked about working out, but she should never get herself to do it. In fact, sometimes watching me work out would get her really negative because it reminded her of all the times that she wasn't working out, what she wasn't doing, what she wasn't following through on. But I got to tell you something. She made a revolution. And frankly, she's my role model now. I mean, she is so absolutely consistent, no excuses. And the changes were a change in beliefs. But I'll tell you what her beliefs were five years ago, her psychology, if you will, and what they are today. Five years ago, she believed, I'll never exercise, but I really want to. (laughs) Now, think about that. I never exercise, but I want to. Want is such a weak thought, isn't it? You never work out when you want something. You don't do something when you know you should do it. You only do it when it's really a must for you. Secondly, she thought, well, it's not that bad yet. You know, that's a great way to live your life. You know, live your life so it's not bad enough for you to change, so just live in a way that doesn't really fulfill you. You know, the yet is the key word there because it tells you she believed it was going to get worse. Third is she believed there's still time. I mean, I'm still young enough. I can still turn it around. And her fourth belief was it takes too much time. You know, I'm just so busy right now. The truth is she's more busy today than any time in her life. She has more responsibilities. She never misses the exercise, and it is her juice. It is what makes her life work. But back then, it's there wasn't time. Then it was too painful. And one of the reasons was when you first work out the first time, it feels good. But day two, if you're lifting weights or even running, very often within two or three days, you might feel stiff initially because you're using muscles you haven't used before. So she'd feel that stiffness and then decide to quit. Well, then she'd go back to exercising and she never made it through the threshold. She'd have to start over and go through the pain again. If you just keep working out, you don't go through that pain. You have the normal momentum. The muscles work. Everything feels great. It's just that initial time. But she kept going through the initial barrier again and again. So she linked pain to exercise. Six, she didn't believe she could really afford a trainer. But when I had nothing, I went out and got a trainer because I valued my body so much. I said, this has to be as important to me as a meal. This has to be important to me as anything else because by not having a trainer, she'd work out too hard. She'd overdo it. And then what would happen is she developed certainty, all right, certainty that exercise equals pain. And finally, she believed it was easier to eat than it was to do anything else. You know, something happened, she got scared, she ate. She got stressed, she ate. she got herself in a position where she felt overwhelmed, she'd go eat. What changed her life was something disturbed her. And again, for some people, that's having a birthday with a zero or maybe a five after the age of 40 at least. For some people, it's someone says something to them or they feel overwhelmed or they finally look in the mirror and tell themselves the truth or they just feel so fat they hit threshold. And living on the beach, right on the sand, she decided one morning to go out for a walk, and she loved it, just walking along the beach, hearing the water, letting her thoughts flow. The next day, she walked again. After a couple weeks of doing this, she started jogging. After a couple weeks of jogging, she got a trainer, and after a while, it became her total time. Today, she has a totally different set of beliefs. First of all, she works out all the time. Six days a week is pretty consistent for her. Her so first belief now is, I must have time for myself every day to think about my life, and it gives me more to give to others. And this is my time and it comes first. Second, she believes I'm worth it. Nothing's more important than this. Third, she believes it's her real hour of power that she runs or she lifts for 40 minutes to an hour. But she's certain at the end to read for five or 10 minutes and then just meditate. She reads something she believes is spiritual, something she thinks will trigger her mind to create an extraordinary life, one that's guided. And then she closes her eyes and she just lets her mind disappear. In the last couple of minutes, she visualizes what she wants for her life. And she says it's the most powerful centering thing she does. Fourth, she believes if I don't do this, I get stressed easier. I get tired easier. And when I do it, I have the edge. And it's the edge of peacefulness. She said, people tell me all the time, like, oh, heck's breaking loose around you, but you seem so calm. She said, because I create that calm first thing in the morning. I create that strength. Her fifth belief is it's fun. And she said, I love it. She said, you know, when I'm exercising, I don't go, oh, my God, there's five minutes left or, oh, my God, how am I going to possibly last this time? She says, when it gets tough, I start singing, yes, yes, yes. I chant that in my head. I smile and close my eyes and feel myself getting stronger. She's linked it up as fun, whereas before it was pain. She said, it's part of my identity of being an achiever. She goes, it feels so good to me to have my kids have to work hard to keep up with me. I get on that running machine or on that bike, that spinning bike, and they got to work hard to keep up with me and they're half my age. She goes, that feels pretty awesome. She goes, plus, I believe it's an investment in my longevity. I believe that if my mom and dad would have worked out the way I have, they wouldn't have died the way they did. Both of them died of cancer. And finally, she said, my body is my temple. So now she lives her life in a different way and it's a celebration of her body where she used to hate it. She was telling me the other day, she goes, I don't understand people get upset on their birthday. She goes, it's a great day. She said, on my last birthday, you know what I really did? I went for a walk and all I did was spend the whole hour giving thanks for every part of my body. My heart that's beat every day without taking a break. No lunch break, no time off. Even when I wasn't paying attention, it was there. My eyes that have shown me the love on people's faces She said, the ears that allowed me to hear the most magnificent music and conversation. She said, the skin I get to touch with. She just lives in total gratitude for every part of her body. Now, that's quite a shift. And what that does is it makes her addicted to really taking care of herself. I'll give you another example from my own personal family. I mean, I could give you all kinds of people I've worked with through the years, but, you know, your family is the place where you really get to see the result long term. And one of my boys, Joshua... Uh, he really wanted to learn international business. So as a young man, he wanted to go to a school, an actual prep school, a high school, overseas in Switzerland. And it's considered to be one of the top schools in the world. The king of Oman's son was his roommate, to give you an idea. And so he was traveling with a rather unique crowd. They wanted to study, you know, the history of Egypt. they fly to Egypt. They'd spend the night in the pyramids and fly back. I mean, it was not quite the way I was raised. But, you know, all human beings have a need to feel important and significant. And it's very easy to get seduced by your peer group to do things to get significance when you feel insignificant, because we all do at times, don't we? And so Josh got in a position where he felt like to compete, he had to do two things, spend lots of money, and secondly, take everybody to dinner on a regular basis, be the great guy that did that. Well, in taking him to dinner in the middle of the night and going to clubs, he started gaining weight. Plus, then he felt bad about himself. When he felt bad, he felt in- even more insecure, insecure around girls, insecure on other things. So he ate more food. It's kind of a weird thing that we do. And, of course, that made him feel worse about himself. But when you eat for the moment, you feel okay. It's that instantaneous hook. Well, over the course of two years overseas, I come to see him. He gained all this weight. Then I came to see him again. He gained 110 pounds. And we couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. Well, the bottom line is he had zero exercise and plenty of consumption. Now, this is called Recipe for Disaster. There were lots of other factors that affected him. But the bottom line is he would not work out even though he knew that he was in incredibly bad shape. He looked obese. He was obese. We were worried for his health, for his heart. I mean, when you weigh that much at that age, you're in trouble. So here were the beliefs that he had. You know, when we tried to talk to him about working out, he'd say, well, working out equals pain. And see, plus, when he worked out, he felt even more inadequate because he didn't feel like he could do it. It was too hard. He couldn't run even 100 yards the second belief he always had is, well, I can handle it later. I'm going to grow into my weight. I'm still young. You ain't going to grow into that weight. <laughs> you know, Not unless he's going to become some professional wrestler like The Rock or something. I mean, you know, it's not going to happen. you know. But this had to be a conversation we had to have. But the point of the matter is he kept saying, you know, I'll grow into Plus, I can handle it later, and I've got so much stuff to do, right? And the third thing he'd say is, well, I, I just can't think about it right now. You know, I just need to push it aside because I'm so busy. I'm, I'm so many things I have to accomplish in school here and all these other areas. Of, you know, I'll just, again, I'll handle it later. I can't think about it right now. His fourth belief I found out was he associated rejection to exercise because girls were in the gym and, you know, being in the gym, working out, made them actually look at his body more. He felt like, and he felt like he was so big, so obese that people were staring at him. And he also felt rejected by the guys in the gym. They didn't want to work out with him because he didn't look like he was an athlete. And so it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And he didn't feel like he belonged in that environment. He said, you know, it's like the bottom line is, you know, that's not my environment. Those aren't my peers. That's not where I need to be because all it meant was massive rejection for him. The fifth belief he had was he needed to do it to make other people happy. Yeah, I should work out so that, you know, my friends don't worry about me. And so my parents, when they come, aren't freaked out. He said, you know, but it wasn't really about himself. And whatever your beliefs are, you got to do this for other people. You're not going to do it forever. The only time you get a lasting change is when you decide, i got to do this for me, and you really believe it. So instead of working out, what he do you do? he eat or he'd smoke. He'd do something else that would sedate himself and get rid of the pain for the moment, but of course wouldn't change it long term. The sixth belief he had is, I don't have the willpower to do it. And by the way, he was certain about that. And so when you've done all these negative beliefs and you keep doing this eating, pretty soon it feeds itself, so to speak. And what happens is at this point, of course you feel like you have no willpower because it feels like you're trying to push a truck up the side of a hill. I mean, it seems too difficult. And so he had plenty of references that he was really in a position where he didn't have any willpower. We all have willpower. We just got to exercise it. And it feels weak when you haven't used it. It's like a muscle feels weak, but it's there. But his way of not feeling bad about not having willpower is he said, well, you know, this is not forever. This is just while I'm in school here. I'll handle it later. same concept that people use so often. And then the last belief is, well, I've got to eat all day long because I'm with friends, <laughs> which was really interesting because it was his way of connecting with his friends. It's what he did when he was bored. It's what he did when he was alone. He was always filling up the emotional hole with food. Now, so how did he change? Well, I'll tell you what changed him. Number one, he got scared, and that's a belief, right? A belief is nothing but a feeling of certainty. He got certain he was going to die because all of a sudden at 20 years old, his heart was racing like crazy. Secondly, I did an intervention with him to help him discover just how important this was going to be and got him totally emotionally associated that this change was not a should but an absolute must. And I found all the leverage inside of him that would move that. His mom did it. We got his friends to do it. We used everybody around him as his peers to get that kind of leverage to make change a must. Third, he developed a new belief. He began to realize he would never really love himself if he didn't love his own body. Oh, my God. When he realized that, I remember the day he started crying as we started talking about it. And he realized he wasn't loving himself. He felt no love. No matter who would love him, he didn't love himself. And you can't say you love yourself while you abuse yourself physically. And let me tell you the good news. You can change it how fast? In a heartbeat. With some action today. So if you're one of those people, it's time to change. The fourth leaf is he never attracted the quality of woman he wanted because that quality of woman would want a higher standard of a guy. Not just physically. But that his body was a reflection of his psychology, his way of living his life. And if he had low enough standards to be that fat, to be that slovenly, how could he ever expect to attract the quality of a woman he's always dreamed of? What is he doing here? With these beliefs, he's developing drive to change everything. These are his reasons of what made him have to change. Number five, he started remembering all the times he was left behind because he wasn't in shape or how in exercise at class, he was always at the back and he hated being left behind and he used that. Do you hear what we're doing here? He used these things to get himself disturbed. Do you follow? You see, well, wasn't he disturbed before? No, he developed a set of beliefs that made it okay. Whenever somebody says it's okay, I think, oh boy, that's the death rattle to desire. That's the death rattle to achievement. That's the death rattle to a quality life. Okay. So you don't want to say I'm okay because that's just saying I'm giving up. The bottom line is he feared rejection every day, but he realized he was getting it all the time. So being overweight wasn't helping him avoid rejection. It was creating it. Next, what gave him leverage is he started to realize he had something more to do with his life than, as he called it, pee it away. I won't give you all the strong words he used, but he used strong words by eating and smoking all the time. Now, by the way, is it important to use strong words to get yourself driven? You bet. If you go, oh, gosh, I'm a smidge overweight, you're not going to do anything. you got to find a way of languaging that is real and intense. People say, well, how do you feel about that? Well, I don't, I don't like it. You don't like it or you hate it. How do you really feel if you're being honest with yourself? So you got to get to that point to have the drive to change. And finally, the eighth thing is he had such physical pain. He was coughing to the point that his vision was blurring. and his, He was so overweight and his body wasn't functioning that he began to throw up all the time. I mean, it took an immense amount to get him to the point of creating change. So how did he change? Well, rather than the how, the action's easy. And if you do go through a program like The Time of Your Life or anything like that, you'll see we actually show you the exact plans of people who lost 80, 100, 110 pounds. Because if I haven't made it clear, he lost all 110 pounds. And more importantly, lost the weight. He's kept it off ever since. And his psychology has changed, right? He set himself up to have an extraordinary life. And one of the things he does, by the way, is he starts his day with his hour of power. It's time for him first, and he loves it. In the beginning, he couldn't even run 50 yards, 100 yards. Now he's probably the best shape of anybody in our family. He's an absolute addict to this, and he's so proud of himself, as he deserves to be. He's got immense self-esteem. Why? He has esteem for himself because he's pushed himself through unbelievable barriers, and he has the pride of what he's produced. So what are his new beliefs? I was asking this the other day. So, well, his first belief is that food is nourishment. It's fuel. It's not something to go get feelings from. Second belief is, exercise is the key to self-love. Boy, is that a change in beliefs. He said, my physical accomplishments are the ultimate accomplishments because my body is my temple. Very big difference from his original belief that none of this really matters. Third, I'll live longer and never have to worry about my health again as long as daily I'm making progress and increasing my vitality and strength. His fourth belief... Working out every day gives me ultimate confidence. By starting my day with great accomplishments, I feel like the day is already a success, and it gives me more results because I get on a roll. Once again, that's why I want you to do this first thing in the morning so you've already got success. There's nothing like success for creating more success. It attracts it. It creates it. But if you start your day getting immersed in something that you feel like you have no control over, and there's lots of things like that in life that you can't control but you can influence, pretty soon you lose your sense of confidence. So if you've started out by mastering yourself, then you know whatever shows up in that world, you're going to shape it. If you can't control it, you'll lead it, you'll persuade it, you'll influence it, or you'll make the most of it, which is what we all have to do in life. He said, fifth belief is exercise and eating well is something you do every day. And it's a big part of my life. It's a great part of my life. And it's something I can share with people. Because this whole thing before is he didn't want to be alone. So he said, I play racquetball, I can run, and I lift weights with other people that I know. I've met people at the gym, and they're my friends. I look forward to seeing them in the morning. Because he's a people person. Sixth, he says, I know it's something I'll do forever. But what a belief to have. He said, because it's the purpose of my life. It's the purpose of my life to be absolutely consistent with a peak performance life. It's the purpose of my life to be dynamic and outrageous and strong and healthy and to inspire other people to do the same. And I can't inspire them to do it if I'm not doing it with myself. Seven, this is congruent for what I stand for. I believe in myself. This is my expression of self-love. Eighth belief, what you do with your physical body is a reflection of your entire life. If you don't take care of your body, you don't take care of your life. If you're not disciplined with your body, you're not disciplined in your life. If you don't love your body, you don't love your life. Boy, that's putting it all on the line, isn't it? But the best thing is he's scheduled this. He's got the beliefs, but he's also got the plan. Do you follow how important this is? I've spent a lot of time on these examples, but the reason is psychology is everything. You know, you got to get disturbed you got to get clear on making yourself a decision about what you're committed to. What's that result and why? you got to get a plan, a real plan, and you got to schedule that plan. And you got to make sure you've got a set of beliefs in place that you've decided to live by that will get you to follow through on a constant and consistent basis. Let me tell you what's great. As soon as you start to get any results at all, you'll get momentum, and with that momentum, you'll develop new beliefs. About half of these beliefs he's developed since he started working out. And all they do is they make him do it for the rest of his life. They make it a part of his lifestyle. So if you can just get yourself in gear, you're going to get the kind of results you want. So here's what I want you to do now. Take out your Get the Edge journal, and if it takes you two days to do this because you're stopping, you I don't care, but I want you to do these steps. I want you to write down, in the past, what are all the beliefs you've had that have kept you from following through on this goal? So if you said, well, I've been wanting to write songs forever and I haven't done it, now be honest with yourself. In order to not follow through... What did I have to say to myself? What did I have to rationalize? What were my beliefs? Well, I don't have time of this. You've said some of them before, but I want you to write down the specific beliefs and then write down what are the beliefs you're going to live by now that will get you to follow through. So if your old thing is workouts equal pain, and the new one is not working out is the ultimate pain because being disappointed with myself is the worst emotion on earth. Plus, working out second belief is easy and fun because I can do it. I can schedule it. And if I schedule it and I do it every day, it'll get easier. Every day, I'll enjoy it more. Write down first the beliefs that kept you from taking action and write down now the beliefs that will empower you. Come up with at least three beliefs that used to limit you, ideally five or six, and at least four beliefs, ideally five, six, or seven, that are new beliefs that will get you to follow through on your new plan. Go for it now. Please take the time for this. This is very important. Okay, I really hope, because I can't see you in this moment, that you're really taking this seriously and taking the time to do it. And if you're driving and you feel like you really couldn't pull over, I want you to still do this in your head. So assuming you did it, let's go through this for a second. Here are a couple examples from people around me here. One of the people here, the person who was having difficulty losing weight, the young lady said, that she realized her limiting belief was, if I'm successful, people might not like me. Now, we all need to feel loved. And I said, where'd that come from? She said, well, when I was growing up, and she said, I got around the successful girls, the girls that were popular. She said, when they realized I was really smart, they classified me as a nerd because I was successful in school and they wouldn't spend time with me. And so she said, I started believing that if you're really too smart or you're too beautiful, then people might not like you. And I said, what's your new belief? She said, people won't like me unless I love myself. Isn't that fantastic? Because it's the truth. Then her second belief was, other things are more important than working out. And then her new belief is nothing is more important than making sure that every day I'm making myself more healthy and more vital. The third belief she had that kept her from taking action was, well, it's not that bad. And her new belief is it's terrible. Now Listen to the language she used here because this is why she's really motivated to change. She didn't say, oh, it really isn't very good. She said, it's terrible. Every pound I gain is eroding who I am as a woman. So that kind of belief system, that new belief will move her to action. Do you follow? I mean, so few people ever allow themselves to be disturbed long enough to do anything about it. Man, they get disturbed. They instantly want to get rid of that pain. Let's do something right now instantaneously to feel good so I don't have any driver motivation. You don't want to kill that. Then the few people that keep that usually just stay there in the pain and don't do anything. And they beat themselves up. Oh, yeah, here, here I am. Let me tell you what else I've screwed up on. As opposed to those that say, okay, this is not good enough. Not in the day, not another minute. I am changing this now. And then in that mode, they then get focused on the result. They don't focus on the past. They focus on the future they're going to create now. And they focus on why, so they find that drive. So few people do that. It's a joke. That's why so few people ever achieve. And the few that might do something like that rarely come up with a real plan. And then even if you get to that level, here's why most people never get any results, because then their old beliefs take over and wipe out the plan. Do you understand why we've taken the time to do this now? It's so important. It's so important. Now, by the way, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to screw up. Things are going to get off target at times. But if you do these steps, you're going to have so much momentum moving you forward that the few challenges you bump into will not be enough to stop you from getting what you're after, especially if you do the next step. And that's step number five, set the game up to win. Now, what does that mean? You've got to set yourself up to win. So many people, when they build their plan, when they organize things, they make it so rigid, so tight, so intense that there's no possibility of you feeling like a success. If you're going to win, you've got to be able to reward yourself for doing things approximately right in the beginning. Here's what I mean. If a child is going to actually learn something, and that's what we're doing when we're creating change, right? We're learning how to do things differently. We're learning how to get ourselves to write those songs. We're learning how to get ourselves to work out consistently. We're learning how to take the time for ourselves or create those products. We're relearning. We're learning something. So when you go to learn something, you don't usually do it perfectly the first time. And if you have to do it perfect or you beat yourself up, your brain's going to go, why even try? I don't want to feel like a failure. So you've got to set up the game so you can win. Now, the secret then is when you create a plan to do something is do everything you can to make it so it's enjoyable along the way. I call it scoring it. You know, if you think about it, if you go to a movie and there's no music, it's not the same movie. You can go to a movie that's, you know, okay with a great music. It's like it lifts your emotion. It moves you. So, for example, in all my seminars, I use music at various points. I have people move. I do things. I use humor. I use jokes. I put things on the screen. Anything I can to score it, to add that additional emotional intensity that makes the process enjoyable, not just the outcome. Does that make sense? Think of it this way. If you're familiar with my work, I teach that all human beings are driven by six needs. Now, I'm not going to go through them here in detail because they're in Personal Power Classics, and hopefully you've already gone through that now, haven't you? You're supposed to go through that week first. I hope you did it. But I will tell you this, one of those needs is the need for certainty. We have to be certain we can be comfortable. If you're not certain that you can be comfortable, if you're not certain the ceiling above you is going to stay up, you can't hear anything anybody says. Certainty is a survival instinct. we got to feel that we can avoid pain, we can have some pleasure. So if you're going to work out as an example, you got to make sure you train that trainer say, listen, in the beginning, your goal is not to kill me. In the beginning, your goal is to get me to enjoy this and to have my body be certain that I can do this successfully day after day. So I know you got to stretch me, but let's do some things that I'm comfortable with initially and get some momentum and build on that success. You know, if, if you're going to be successful in anything, the second need we have is for uncertainty, which is a code word for variety. God has a sense of humor. He wants us to be certain and uncertain simultaneously. He just wants to twist our brain. And if we are able to take this brain and balance it out, we have tremendous power. When I go to exercise, I mean, to me, it was boring to run in the beginning. Now I like it. But in the beginning I hated it. You know, and there're times when I love it. When when I love it is when I add something to it. And what I add to it is incantations or I add music because I love music, or I'd run with a friend, or I'd do it in an environment that's fun, or i do something different every day, a different kind of workout, a different kind of movement, a different kind of exercise. Anything that you can do to add variety is going to make you enjoy the process, and now you're going to want to do it as opposed to having to do it. That's part of how you set the game up to win. That's how you get the edge in life. You get the edge by creating enjoyment in the process, not just enjoyment someday when it's all done. So we all have a need for connection, for love. And if you can do something with someone you love, it's just like the young lady was saying. She said she wants to lose weight. Well, she needs a buddy. The buddy will add a sense of connection. The buddy will add variety to the workout. It won't be boring. Another need we all have is a need for significance, to feel like what we're doing matters. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a couple of ladies on that great television show called The View that's on in the mornings in the United States. And I had them approach me afterwards, and they said, you know, we really want to work out. We want to do it, but we don't seem to follow through. And I said, well, tell me why. And one lady said, well, you know, it's like I hate maintenance. I want to do big things. I want to do important things. And working out, it's just, ugh. And I said, here's the problem. You think exercise is insignificant, and your whole life is about being significant. So, of course, you're not going to do it. I said, plus, you both have the same beliefs. So you're not going to reinforce each other to work out, neither one of you do. You've got to get around somebody who believes exercising is a gift from God, that exercising is about taking the temple to the next level, that exercising and enjoying it is an epiphany that few human beings ever achieve, and that they're unique because they love the process. You need to find somebody who sees this as significant, or you need to do something significant while you're exercising, like listen to a tape. You know, this time that you're listening to this tape, I don't know if you're working out. If you do, I compliment you. But I'll tell you something. Most people, they they don't do the tapes because they go, when am I going to do it? Well, maybe you could use what I call net time. No extra time. N-E-T. No extra time. Use net time. Where you're already doing something else that isn't as productive, like driving in your car is my guess what you might be doing while you're listening to this. Or maybe you're going for a walk. Net time means you're able to do several things at once and get immense value. It takes no extra time for you to have that much more value. That's setting the game up to win. If you don't set it up so you can use net time, then you may say, oh, I don't have time for this. So think about how you can use net time. So that's another way to make this happen. Another need we have is to grow. So if you measure your progress, you'll be excited about it. If you only measure it one way, though, like how many pounds you lose, forget it. So maybe what you do is you make a chart of emotions, and you have, you know, bored, tired, angry, frustrated, overwhelmed, and then you go to the other side, and you go, you know, calm, comfortable, happy, excited, euphoric, passionate. And maybe you put a little thing at the bottom, day one through 31. And then you just chart two or three times a day. You write down the time of the day. And write, here's where I am. And you mark it. And you chart. As you work out, what happens to your emotions? As you do this morning ritual I told you about, this hour of power, chart where you are after you've worked out. Chart where you are when you don't work out. It'll be real obvious. You'll see you're way up at the top in the peak levels of life and the peak emotions, right? The upper levels, whenever you do these things for your body and you'll feel the lower levels when you're not. Measure more than just weight loss. Measure anything that can give you growth. I mean, we all have that need to feel we've grown. So the more you measure things, the more you reinforce it, the better you feel. And finally, contribution. If you can find a way that by working out, you're contributing. Most of us will do more for others we care about than we'll ever do for ourselves. So there's so many ways to meet your needs. You want now. To say, whatever the tasks are at hand, what do I need to do so that I enjoy the process? What can I do to score it? If it's working out, can I add music? Can I work out with a buddy? You know, can I pray while I'm doing this? Can I do incantations while I'm doing this? What can I do so I'm comfortable? So what can I do so I have different kinds of workouts, so I have variety? What can I do to meet some of these needs so I enjoy the process? whatever it is. And if it's not working out, if it's building a new project or if it's losing the weight or whether it's writing the songs, whatever it is, I want you right now just come up with two or three ideas. That's all. You can have a Slater that can help you look forward to doing the things that will be necessary in order to achieve your goal. In order to achieve the result you want, what are some things you can do while you're doing it that you can focus on, pay attention to, notice, appreciate, or enjoy that'll enhance the experience. Just take a minute to do this. Write down two or three things. Turn off that CD, turn off that tape, and come right back to me. Bye. Okay, so what did you do to juice it up for you? I can tell you the areas people tend to do is they tend to think about things or focus on things they weren't focusing on before. Like one of my friends here was saying that you know he realizes that he feels so happy he feels what he called an abiding exhilaration when he's worked out. He said, it's like joy is always in the background of my life. And he said, I miss it. And he said, he feels connected to God, connected to his creator when he writes songs. For the young lady who wanted to lose weight, she loves to read trashy novels, but never has such time. So she said, now I can get on a Stairmaster. If I can read myself a good trashy novel it's happened, then I'll have no pain. I'll be involved in the whole story. That's what'll make it work. She said, the other thing is she loves locations. She loves outdoors. She loves you know, cross-country type environments or running the stairs that are by a beach, she said, or, or some really intense terrain. She loves both the view and the difference in the terrain, the variety and the challenge of that that makes it significant for her. So those are some things that she added to her list. So all of us can juice things up. The more we juice it up, the more we set up the game to win. Here's the last two real quick. Step number six, take massive action. And when do you do it? Well, when would now be a good time? Right, You don't want to wait now. So often my kids will say something like, you know, we ought to do X. And I'll look at them and say, when would now be a good time to do that? And they look at me, and they get a little quizzical look on their face, and they start to smile, and they get the message. Right, Now is the time. There is no time but now. The power is in now. The power is not in the future. The power is not in tomorrow. The power is in this moment in which you act. And I've already said the things I'd say under this principle, but I'll just remind you knowing that repetition is the mother of skill. Never. Never, ever, ever, ever leave the site of setting a goal without doing something towards its attainment. So all these people in the studio have got to figure out what are they going to do before they leave the studio? Who are they going to call? What are they going to schedule? What are they going to leave the studio and go do immediately? Is it a meeting they're going to schedule? Is it an email they're going to send? Is it a book they're going to buy? Is it a coaching session they'll set up? Are they going to go hire a trainer? What can they do? Can they call their secretary and leverage it? I don't care, but you've got to do something while you're in state. And the more massive the action, the more committed you are. So again, you know, instead of saying, well, you know, I need to change my diet, go home and tear everything out of the house and throw it down that toilet, like I said. You know, go do something crazy. Go do something outrageous. You know, do something you would never normally do that will commit you to following through. Burn the bridges behind you so you have to move forward. This has power. Nothing great happens by having little goals with little action. you got to have big goals. That's what inspires you and big action that makes it possible. And I'll tell you, massive action doesn't mean it has to be a lot of work. I'll tell you some massive action. One of the easiest things you could do that would get you on target for your goal that requires you no money, all it requires is you making a decision and taking action immediately. Incantations. We talked about them in the last tape. When you state a phrase over and over again, out loud, using your entire body and the emotional state you want to feel, you literally condition your mind and body to experience it. So for example, if you want to get your body in shape and you start to create a phrase, it doesn't even have to sound good. I'm a lean, mean, fighting machine. I'm a lean, mean, fighting machine. Or, you know, I'm a fit, lean, mean, fighting machine. I don't know what you want to say. Or every day and every way I'm getting stronger and stronger. Every day and every way I'm feeling happier and happier. And you say that for 45 minutes while you walk or jog or run. You talk about massive action. It's called massive conditioning. You can't just get rid of a negative belief. you got to replace it. You could just incant your new beliefs, the beliefs that you wrote down earlier. You could just say them again and again and change the emphasis, so change the state. Say it with pride. Say it with strength. Say it with a smile on your face. Say it with laughter in your heart. Say it as if God was guiding you. By changing the emotion, you change the impact that you feel inside your body. And you literally begin to condition yourself for more action. Again, you get momentum. Massive action creates momentum. Massive action is the cure-all. Massive action doesn't mean you have to do 5,000 things. It means do something. And if it's something big and you go after it and you make progress of any sort, it's going to reinforce you because you're going to see that the big problem is not as big as you thought in your head. Things are always bigger in your head than they really are. Tackle it. Make it real. Do it right now. So if I said to you right now, there's one action you're going to take, a small, simple action and a big action that's going to get you going, something you could do like a quick phone call, email, and then something that require time, energy, or money, or a big effort. You're going to go out and you're going to take that car of yours and you're going to blow it up so no one has to drive it. <laughs> so you're, you've been embarrassed by it. Your kids are embarrassed. You're going to commit yourself. I don't know. What's a big action? What's a little action? Turn off this program just for a second and write down those two things. Go. This is a pretty cool process, isn't it? You know why? Because this is really a results workshop. This is how you get results. You know, no more talk, no more just getting inspired. Let's let's get down to it and let's make it fun. Now, what were your actions? What did you come up with? Did you come up with a little one and a big one? I'll give you some examples from people here. For John, our producer here, who wanted to make sure he got his songs going and started working out, he said two simple actions immediate. Number one, the minute he goes home, he's going to grab the clipboard and he's going to put it right on his pillow. So he can't miss it, and it's just an absolute commitment this is going to be. It's so easy, but it'll make it happen. And he said the second thing, which is a big thing for him because he hasn't worked out in a while, is he's going to put on his gear instantly with no delay, go right in there and get busy. Those two things will get him momentum. You know once he gets in there, he'll feel good. The hardest part of working out is getting in the gym. You know, Once you start working out, you get momentum. It's just like anything else, and it feeds you because it feels good to move, Right? Next, the young lady did want to lose that weight. She said the first thing she's going to do is she's going to call her friend Shannon, and she's going to schedule this Saturday to run those big stairs by the beach. Second, she's going to get rid of what she calls her big girl clothes, which is the stuff she hangs on to because she's overweight during the summer. And she says, I'm going to give it away now so that by summer, when summer comes, I have nothing else to be wearing, so I have to be thin. Great massive action. Fabulous. And for my friend here who's the engineer, He's going to immediately schedule his weekly meetings with his design team down in the Gaslamp District because he said it's so motivating for an artist to be there. And he said that'll be so cool; it'll stimulate us. We'll be going. And then the big one is, he said, as soon as the first product's done, I'm going to take my team to the SOMO District in San Francisco. That's south of Market for those not from the Frisco area or as they call it, the city, if you call it Frisco. They know you're not from the area. But the point is he's going to take his whole team up there so they'll be inspired and they'll be rewarded and everybody's got something to look forward to. So this is the kind of thing that gets momentum going. So here's the final step, step number seven. Use the seventh power. You go, step seven, seventh power. Is this designed to confuse me? Yes, it's designed to sound mysterious because we're coming to the end of the workshop. And you have to add a little zest in here because, you know, while we've got an action plan here, it's pretty basic. So you have to make it sound really special, the seventh power. But my seventh power is this I was doing a speech recently, not that long ago, for the Marines. And the general asked me to come in and speak, and he wanted me to talk to the Marines on raising their standards. (laughs) The Marines raising their standards. This is an interesting process, right? And he's a great guy, and he's a big fan of mine. And he said, you know, what can we do for you? And he said, because you know, we don't usually have the kind of budget to pay for a person like you. And I said, listen, I'll come in for free. I do government work always for free. And I said, so if it's just a talk, I'll be happy to serve. And he said, well, i got to do something for you. He said, you know what? How about I make arrangements for you to play with all our toys? You know, like, shoot some M16s and drive some tanks and fly some Apache helicopters. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Now, all the girls listening are going, what are you talking about? But guys understand this. So it was very cool. So I'm very excited. I'm going to go do we use all these things. And I'm excited about my talk. And he wanted everyone to hear me. And there was a group of 300 men that were out on the survival course that's supposed to be six days. And they had been three days without food. And they're out literally in the middle of this area. And he decided they don't want to miss the talk. So you want to bring them back for my talk. So I'm standing up there and I don't know, a couple thousand Marines everywhere I can see. And they're standing there, these 300 guys in full gear, battle gear in the hot sun at 12 noon with about 98 degrees. And they've got their black war paint on, and they're holding their M16s in their hands. And I'm thinking, I better do a good job here. <laughs> you know. And so I thought, oh, my God, i got to make sure my standard's high. So I did my talk with these guys, with them for about three hours, supposed to be an hour and a half. And they went for it, and I went for it. We just went till we got the result, because it wasn't about the action plan. It was about doing whatever it took to get them where they needed to be. And at the end, I mean, you got chills as these people were doing this incantation that we do called I Am the Voice, it was amazing. Some of you have been to my seminars. You know what I'm talking about. But all these Marines doing this. And the general afterwards, he was driving me in his car. And we're going to go see this Apache helicopter. And I'm juiced. And he's juiced. And he said, you know, Tony, he said, I've never seen anything like that. That is extraordinary. And I said, well, thank you so much, sir. And he said, you know, I, I got to ask you a question, though. He said, you got them to raise their standards today immensely. And he said, not all of them will keep those standards. But he said, I know some of those men, they were moved today. But I got to tell you, even without you, we get them to raise their standards. He said, in fact, You know, most of these people, most of these men and women, have the highest standard today as a Marine that they'll ever have in their life. And he said, sad because when they leave this environment, he said, their standards will drop for a lot of them, for the majority of them, Tony. And he said, why do you think that is? Is it because people don't care? Is it because people are basically lazy? Is it because people have to be supervised like children? I mean, why is it that people lower their standards like that? And I said, sir, it's not that people are lazy, it's not that they don't care. It's that most people's lives are a direct reflection of the expectations of their peer group. He looked at me. and said, wow, that's heavy. And I thought, yeah, that's good. I should write that down. <laughs> right? And I said, let me say that again, sir, so I could remember it, of course. I said, most people's lives are a direct reflection of the expectations of their peer group. Everybody in life has standards for themselves, but we all have certain needs. And one of those needs we talked about earlier is the need for love and connection. One of those needs is the need to feel like we're significant or important to the people around us. And the people that have the power to make us feel loved or unloved, the people we give that power to are the people we call our peers. Now, for some people, the peers are their family. For some people, the peers are their friends at home. For some people, they have their peers at work. But anybody who you care how they feel about you has the power to influence the way you think to some extent. Now, some people are completely influenced by their peers, and some people tend to lead their peers. But everyone is influenced to some extent. And the reason is because we all want this love and connection. So when I say that most people's lives are a direct reflection of the expectations of their peer group, here's what that means. If you have a peer group of people, people who you care how they feel about you, and they have a lower expectation for what they want for their body, for example, let's say they're comfortable with being overweight, then if you have a higher standard, it's going to bother you to see that they're overweight. But because they're your friends, you don't want to make them wrong all the time, and that, that would feel terrible. You love them. Plus... They don't want to feel like they're not significant either. So they're not going to try and pull you down because they don't love you. They're going to go, hey, it's just one piece of chocolate. Come on, it's just one more bite. Come on. oh, Stop being so rigid. And all they're doing is trying to make sure they don't lose you. Because everybody senses that if you have a higher standard, that they're not as important. If you have a higher standard, they feel less significant. If you have a higher standard, you might not feel as connected. So people become vested very often in bringing you to a lower standard of where they are. Now, the opposite happens. If you join a group of people that have a higher standard than you have for your life, just to stay in that peer group, you have to raise your standards, don't you? To be a Marine, you got to raise your standards. To be in the Airborne, you've got to raise your standards. right? If you're going to play that same example I gave you, tennis, and you're playing against people much better than you are, you're going to get better because you have to just to stay in rapport, just to stay in the game, just for them to want to visit with you. Because otherwise, they're going to get bored. And that's true of emotions. That's true of spirit. That's true of economic success. That's true of how much negativity you're willing to put out or not. Whoever you're around, here's the simple thought. Whoever you spend time with is who you become. If you lie down with dogs, you come up with fleas. <laughs> it's an old phrase. It's another one of those cliches, but it's so true. Because who you spend time with is who you become. Because eventually, if you've got higher standards, one of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to get them to raise their standards and you're going to lead them to a new level, or you're going to get frustrated, burnout, tired, or going to comply with their standards sooner or later out of your need for love. So in life, here's what you got to do. A lot of people say, yeah, but my peer group's my family. Oh, no, no, no. Here's what you got to do. Love your family. Pick your peer group, right? Because a lot of family members are not the right people to be influencing how you feel because a lot of them have their own stuff. So you got to pick your peer group and love your family because you got to love your family whether they're nice or not. That's just about being a human being, right? So when I say to tap into the seventh power, it's the power of environment. It's the power of picking a peer group that has a higher standard. So if you want to make sure this plan you fall through on really occurs, you got to get somebody else who's already living that way. If you pick a buddy who's also struggling to work out, the two of you will find yourself at Starbucks instead of at the stairs. You can't let that happen. Find somebody who's already succeeding. That's why hiring a coach is so valuable, because you know they can't cop out. That's their job, and you know they live it every day. But if you get somebody who's equally struggling as you are just because they give you good company, I can promise you the two of you are unlikely to hit the ultimate level you're after. you got to get around people with a higher standard. Now, if you get that person and you take your friend with you, and the two of you have someone who's a higher standard, and you both care how they feel, or you've hired them so you have to follow through— then you got a different game, don't you? Then things are going to actually occur. That's why I so believe in coaching. I mean, my favorite thing is to make sure that when somebody has an immersion program like this, there's someone to walk you through, making sure you take action. So I really encourage you to call our company and get yourself a coach. Start out for 90 days. At the end of 90 days, if you're not thrilled, you can end it, but you won't. You'll find these coaches will make a difference in your life long-term. Because what coaches are are people that have a higher standard and they have an entire focus to make sure you follow through and you can't manipulate them because they care about you. They care enough to not let you lie to yourself, not distort things. And they'll help you get disturbed if you're not. And they'll do it in a way that's elegant and respectful. They'll help you make these decisions. They basically get you to do these seven steps on a regular basis instead of you hoping that it works out. So that's why coaching so valuable. But you've got to create an environment where you are reinforced for doing what it is you're really committed to. You've got to make that happen if you're going to succeed. And by the way, pick an environment that also reinforces you, like we talked about earlier, for the small wins. You've got to have somebody that not only will challenge you, but you got to make sure you get rewarded. So if they don't do it, do it for yourself. Like if you're going to learn to play the game of golf, for example, it can be a bit overwhelming unless you focus when you go out and play not on all the shots you missed but on the ones you made. If you go out and say, okay, I scored 138 today, and these guys, they hit a 62. This is a bit depressing. It seems overwhelming. So what you got to do is instead you got to keep track on every hole. You did two great putts. You had a great drive. You know, you write down those, and you forget the stuff that doesn't matter because if you keep focusing on the failure, you never get the success. Remember, you can only build on success. And if you've got a great peer group, they're going to challenge you, but they also should be able to reinforce you for your progress, not somebody who is so in need of significance themselves that they can't acknowledge you as well. It's an important point to remember. And also remember this, you're going to get off track. You're going to screw up. The secret is not do you fall down. The secret is do you sit there on the ground and cry and complain and talk about how you always do this and you sabotage yourself and tell a story, or do you get your butt back up immediately and start running? And the other thing is, don't make this more complex than it needs to be. I was talking to this woman the other day, and she was majorly overweight, and she was saying, yes, well, I'm going to put my plan together when I get back home, I'm going to go do research on the very best trainer possible, and you know, make sure that they have all the best distinctions and tools, and you know, within two weeks, I'll get started. I said, ma'am, with all due respect, you're so overweight, you don't need a sculpting genius, you need a big guy behind you to yell, run! <laughs> right? That's what you need. You, don't need. you don't need some massive, detailed plan. You need some momentum here. Don't be telling yourself this big story. Just go do it. Because that's what this is all about. In the end, it's about doing it. It's about living it. It's about experiencing it. It's about not settling. Figure out who you're going to do that with, though. Who are you going to do it with or who are you going to share the victory with or who are you going to tell your commitment to? Make sure you decide that right now. Who? Who will you share this experience with? Who will you commit to? Who will hold you to that standard for real and not let you off the hook? Who will be leading you by example and you will not want to lose face with, so you will follow through even when it's uncomfortable and it's uneasy, and therefore you'll achieve the experience called the real you. Where you'll have the experience of remembering who you really are and having your life reflect it. Where your life reflects a person who lives at the edge. And I don't mean the edge of challenge, I mean the edge that reflects someone who is sharp. Someone who can make anything they think about happen in their life. Someone who knows that it's all about enjoying your life and producing the results. It's not about talking about the story about why it didn't happen and it can't happen now and all the reasons. Give up the story. Go for the results. Take this RPM plan you've created and turn it into reality and start to experience the pride that comes when you're one of those people that doesn't have to explain why they aren't achieving but he gets to share the joy of what you've accomplished, and you can share with other people how you did it, because you're conscious in your process. See, that's a life that's fun. That's a life at the edge. That's a life that's extraordinary. So I hope this results workshop has moved you forward. And if you didn't do some of the steps, go back and do them. The way you get results is doing things, not just listening to things. And if you got to listen to this 10 times to get yourself to do it, do it. But get yourself to take the action. And once you do this, now we can start with this is the foundation. Anything else we teach you can fall through. You know why? Now you've got a system. Every day to look at this, a system to feel the gratitude and fill back up with the emotions that will move you forward, a system to put your body in a peak state so you feel that sense of will, a system that every morning will start your life where you feel successful because you know you've already achieved first thing in the morning, a system that will get you connected and loving yourself, a system that will get you focused on what you want and why you want it and the actions to make it work, and all that happens within an hour. And now you've got a system here that if you're not falling through, you can go through these seven steps, you can listen to this tape, and you can kick yourself in the butt, tell yourself the truth, get the plan, make it happen, and make it fun. Now today, I want you to go do those two things you wrote down you are going to do. Do them right away. And really acknowledge yourself. It's my privilege to be your coach. I thank you for taking this journey with me, and I look forward to being with you tomorrow. God bless you, and live with passion.